That's going to play before and after service. I want to get started in 1 Peter. Of course we're still in chapter 1, verse 2, right? Because we're just going to spend a minute there. But I want to spend a minute there uh, talking about this, this big, I'll call it like a $5 word. It's just a really big word, and it's sanctification. So if you've been in church a while, you might have heard the word before. I've been in church a while myself, but I'm not comfortable enough with that word to just say, like, let's shoot from the hip and see how it goes in a sermon. I had to do some digging to become, like, reacquainted with that word, to become uh, comfortable with that word. Right before verse 2, in verse 1, you'll remember that Peter is writing to a group of people he believes are exiles. And we settled on the word exile, although we touched on a variety of different translations. Exile really seems to cement it for us as we understand the meaning of that word currently in our time and place. So exile, it's like living as an outsider, living as someone who doesn't really belong where they are. We're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of here. So it's important that with that mindset, we continue to walk through Peter's letter because Peter's writing to a group of believers in these uh, churches, groups of believers in these churches that we looked at the map of, the the, um, the dispersion, he called it, sorry. The dispersion, he calls it in these five different areas that are part of the Roman Empire. And when Peter's referring to them, he calls them elect exiles. If you want to know more about God's foreknowledge, which is a part, oh, it's still in verse two. It is a part of this here, then you can go back to June 5th, but uh, we're not talking about foreknowledge. We have not skipped it. Robin addressed that. So we're on to the sanctification in the sanctification. So Peter believes it's important if you're a group of people who are called believers, and if you're in a country or an empire that doesn't necessarily love what's going on, again, early Roman empire, uh, early in Nero's Rome, Nero's rule of Rome, he was tolerant, and then all of a sudden, persecution comes. We live in a different time than that. We live in a time where Roe versus Wade was just overturned. Some of you might have experienced sharing like, I'm really happy that our nation made a decision for life. And then you might have taken a little heat for that. I wouldn't call it persecution, but I would say that's a little bit of what it might have been like to be a Christian before Nero got full-blown crazy state-sponsored persecution. So we're not in the same exact climate that Peter wrote this letter to these Christians but remember, it happened in a moment that it switched from semi-tolerant to full-blown state-sponsored persecution. So as Christians, one of the reasons we want to read through 1 Peter and study it together is to prepare ourselves to be the kind of person who is representative of the people of God. Because as we see Peter say to these believers, we have to suffer well. We have to live well. We even have to be, we'll see, he says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So this is why we look at the book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter. It may not seem like we're under persecution because we're not, but you never know. If you would then join me in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, I was researching this, uh, this word sanctification because I didn't want to just go on what I knew and I, I came across like three, you could say, like three curious takeaways, uh, three curious ways that New Testament authors treat the concept of sanctification. So uh, join me in the first discovery. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it's worth turning there because we're going to read 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and verses 2. We'll also have it um, on the screens for you to read along. So the, the first thing I noticed about sanctification and reading, um, I'll read verse 30 and just listen to this and follow along. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So there's our word, but we're noticing that because, of Je- because we're in Jesus who became, he became for us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now, let's go to verse 2. I'm just looking at part A here. This is still 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, I just want to hit that part, and then I want to do some grammar, because it's summertime, and we are out of school, so it's time for some school. I know how many of you are like, yes, school, I can't wait. You guys are so excited, I can tell. All right, so let's go look at the, this, this, uh, this way that this verb is used, and the way this verb is used is called a tense, and there's a perfect, and there's a lot of other ones, but we want to focus on two, the perfect and the present. So let's explore tense really quickly. Perfect tense is how these two were used in the perfect tense. That's an action that's already done or complete is the perfect tense. An example is grandma made the cookies. So you can walk into grandma's house and eat them because they're made, it is complete, they're done. Now, this is the opposite, present tense, and the action is ongoing, right? It's not complete. Grandma is still making the cookies, and if you walked in and tried to eat them, they would be extra gooey, and I wouldn't call it a cookie, but you might call it cookie dough, but you can't call it a cookie because grandma's still making. That's present. That's not perfect. So the, way, the first discovery that I came across is noticing that Paul, when he talks about sanctification, is using the perfect tense. It means that it is complete. It means that it is done. It means then when he applies that to a believer that we are sanctified. We are now set apart. And I'm realizing I skipped a little bit of set apart here. So let me tell you guys, because we can't go anymore without this, right? Why are there dirty shoes on the stage? I mean, so many of you in the front were really curious. Why are there dirty shoes on the stage? These shoes have been set apart onto a purpose, okay? Not just set apart spatially from where we are. They don't smell. They might when they come right out of the creek. These shoes are set apart unto creek walking or kayaking. They're the shoes that you put on when you're going to get in the creek. There's another thing that was set apart recently. My wife, Andrea, made some deviled eggs, and she set them in the fridge. None of our family touched the deviled eggs because it was on a special, like, glass, pretty tray. And when you see that, you think, oh, that's for a special occasion. That's been set apart. Don't touch it. So we're sitting down at dinner, and she asked, did anybody enjoy any of the deviled eggs? And we're thinking, this is the beginning of the interrogation. This is where we die. And we're silently shaking our heads, and she says, well, it's, they're for you guys to eat. And so we brought them out, and they disappeared. They were great. But that little glass or large glass tray looked special, different, set apart. Our word sanctification means set apart unto the service of God. So looping back in, we'll talk a little more about this, this verb. And I discovered a second way that New Testament authors think about this word sanctification. The, and you can tell because they write the word and they use it differently. So uh, this one is just 
How many of you guys like lost your mind with excitement when we talked about grammar in July? Hmm? Yeah, no one, that's what I thought. So wait, we've got a few, and I don't blame you. It is very exciting. So double bonus for you today, and the rest of you just suffer, okay? Suffer. Suffer and like it. Put a smile on your face. Let's suffer some more. So we're going to learn about, now we're going to learn about the voice of the way something is written, and we've done this one before, so you may remember it. The active voice tells what a person or thing does. The shoes sit on the stage. The active voice, here's an example of active voice, oh no, passive voice, we'll do examples in a moment. Passive voice tells what is done to something. We just, we kicked the shoes, the, the action was done to them. So here are some examples. We're learning this because we're then going to examine Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to be turning there. Active voice, Susan will bake two, two dozen cupcakes for the bake sale. Passive voice, for the bake sale, two dozen cupcakes will be baked by Susan. The action is done to the cupcakes in the passive. Let's do two more of these real quick. Some people raise sugarcane in Hawaii. Sugarcane, passive, is raised by some people in Hawaii. One more before we go apply what we've learned. Active voice, we are going to watch a movie tonight. Passive, a movie's going to be watched by us tonight. And hopefully you've heard the difference. Let's test it out. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. I want you to listen and see how this writer of Hebrews, there's no name for them, we don't know who wrote it, but just see how it sounds. Does it sound like it's active or does it sound like it's passive? And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By that will, this is the will of God in verse 9, we have been sanctified. So who thinks it's active, if you're brave? Who thinks it's passive? Everybody raise your hand for this one. Uh, who thinks it's Okay, yes, you guys are rock stars. Way to go. This is passive, so sanctification has been applied to us. It was applied. It was given to us. We received the sanctification by saying, I am a Christian. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, coming up out of the baptism, sharing in his death and resurrection. We are then applied to us. It's called sealed by some authors in the New Testament. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have been sanctified. It's complete. Remember, is how Paul writes about it in Corinthians. So, this is uh, one, uh, one last discovery, but I want to review before we get to our last discovery. Uh, New Testament writers, so far New Testament writers, have talked about sanctification using language that, uh, number one, implies that it's complete. It was the perfect tense. It implies the action is complete. If Kurt were given the microphone right now, would you use the word tetelestai to explain this? He could use it. I've heard him use it, and I think he would use it because Jesus said it is finished, and that is to tell us die, and that is as complete as it gets on the cross, right? It was finished. So complete, perfect, done. Grandma made cookies. Now, that's the way that Paul talks about sanctification sometimes in his letters. Passive, done to or for us, is the way that the Hebrew writer, at least in one instance, is using this word sanctification. I discovered one last thing about this word sanctification. So who today wants to know the will of God? Who wants to know it? I am not a seer or a prophet or anything like that. I don't have any special way to do this, but by the way, I believe it's true. So who wants to know the will of God? 
Does anybody, uh, more of you were voting for passive. Okay, well, we're going to know the will of God if you're here and you're listening and following along. We're going to know it from 1 Thessalonians. So if you'd like to turn there, feel free. We're also going to read it from the screen. And I want you to listen, interactive, get ready, get the ears on and the eyes open. We're going to listen for how many instructions are given. Because so far we've got a perfect, complete, done. We've got a passive. It was applied to us. Now, this was interesting to discover. Given those two things we've discovered so far, it was interesting to note that sanctification has another facet, another sense in which we might understand ourselves in the process of sanctification. Could I insert before we go? Some of you are still turning to 1 Thessalonians. That's good. We are in a process as a church of turning everyday people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So we know there's a process here. And here we see Paul writing something that sounds like, listen for yourself, how many instructions do you hear? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. There you go, will of God. Your sanctification, your setting apart for use unto God, your sanctification, that you, all right, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion, sorry, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger. All right, the, the, the rest of that is, there's not another verb. So did those sound, remember our passive versus active? The shoes set on the stage is active. I kicked the shoes as passive. Did those sound a little bit more active to you guys? To me, that sounded like a lot of activity. That sounded like a whole lot of personal responsibility. It sounded like Paul saying, you need to do a thing. It sounded like we're involved in our becoming sanctified. This isn't passive. If you keep going through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you're going to see a lot more instruction. If you read the whole of the New Testament, you're going to see instruction after instruction after instruction on what a believer is supposed to do. We're supposed to try, last week, Robin invited us to ask God to speak to us by the Holy Spirit. That's a very active role we're playing then, isn't it? Because we have to choose. Do we obey? Do we disobey? So our sanctification is a process then. Uh, we'll read one more verse before we review. But our sanctification looks a little bit like this. I think the Hebrew author uh, summarizes this really well in a very succinct verse, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Doug Melton has it underlined, and he's already there for us. He's beat us all there. Let's read this one together out loud. If you guys can read it without it on the screen, I'm impressed. Hebrews, and I want to let you guys know. Everybody give Penny a hand. Penny is back there writing this like triple-headed dragon of a computer that will not do what it's supposed to today, and I'm partly at fault. I thought I was helping. It wasn't helpful, but anyway, thank you, Penny. She is, ugh, the computer is something today. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 together. Uh, this is the ESV version. All together, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So this process is both. It is complete. It is perfect, has been perfected. Odd that the word perfected is in the perfect tense, but it is a little ironic. We have been perfected and we are being sanctified. So it's a process that is done and is also 
ongoing. It is a process that we involve ourselves in. So let's get our review slide. Penny, if you can, man, I will be appreciative, and I will understand if you can't. Well, she did it. All right, so our three things that we've noticed about New Testament authors, the way they think about sanctification, the way they write about sanctification. Number one, it is perfect. It is complete. It is done. It is applied to us. Number two, it is passive. It is done to us. We are sanctified by God in a process of our obeying when God leads us by the Holy Spirit. Number three, it is active. We participate. That's our obedience. We participate in the sanctification. Some of you grew up around a a grandmother's house where grandma would have everybody over for a birthday, or there might be a, a time when you guys would get to to celebrate Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving. And if your grandma's house was anything like my grandma's house, there was a process of sanctification that began long before I arrived on the scene. But the sanctification was being applied to the kitchen. And we were made aware of the sanctification of the kitchen by the the consequence, I'll say, that if we didn't recognize that the kitchen had been set apart for service unto lunch, dinner, whatever the occasion would be, we would meet the wooden spoon. So all of our little cowboys and Indians games and whatever cops and robbers we played that morning or evening uh, really needed to take place somewhere else unless we wanted to suffer the consequence of ignoring the sanctification of Grandma's kitchen. How much more so in our Christian lives are we going to malign the name of Christ? Are we going to unnecessarily suffer, as Peter says, for doing wrong? How much more are we going to suffer poorly, maybe not even realizing that we're suffering in a way that could bring glory to Christ, Instead, we just complain our way through it like, oh gosh, this is miserable. God, save me from this stuff that's not fun and bring me back to happy good times. How much more are we going to waste the opportunities we're given to bring glory to God if we don't continuously sanctify ourselves, if we don't live in the sanctification we've received, and we don't trust that God is an actor in our sanctification? Elective started today. I hope that you chose to sanctify yourself by setting aside time to put yourself under the teaching of a man who studied and prepared to deliver to you a way that you can now be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, or to understand your faith in a new way that maybe you didn't last week. Where is it that God needs you to be joining him in the process of setting yourself apart for the purpose and glory of God. We're going to set apart some of our students in uh, any minute. Uh, students, I think you're here, aren't you? Because you're upstairs right there. Come on up. Students, come on up. And uh, adults, come on up. We're going to be setting them apart. We observed the early church setting apart uh, Paul and Barnabas for a mission. They called it uh, ordin- ordination now. We call it ordination if you're set apart for something. You could call it consecration. You could call it sanctification. It all means we're setting something apart to the purpose and use of God. So we're setting these folks apart because they're headed to Appalachia to serve the community there. Matthew's going to tell us a bit about that service. Uh, before you do, hey parents, you're going to see the kiddos come in 
they may run to you. If they're your kid, good luck. I mean, good news, good news. If they're not your kid, good luck. That's what I meant to say. If they're not your kid, good luck. Uh, those kids are coming in because we're praying for Skylar at the end, so you'll be picking up your kids up here. That's preschool and elementary. Matthew, would you tell us some about what you guys will be doing? Sure. Um, hello? Yes, okay, cool. All right. Um, so this week we will be going to Appalachian area, um, and we have a home down there that needs some love. Um, so the woman we are serving this week, um, she uh, has cerebral palsy, and so she has involuntary movements, um, and she is getting to the stage where she is not able to walk well, um, and she's starting to trip, starting to do those kind of things. So um, it is very quickly approaching the time when she will need a wheelchair ramp. Um, as well as when she will not be able to make the step to her home anymore. So we are going down there to build a ramp, and then she lives, there's about a step about, probably about this big, and so uh, we don't want her to fall off of there, so we'll be building a railing around it as well, so that she'll have kind of a completed porch so she can still go out there and it be safe. Um, and then inside her home, uh, we, uh, there's vinyl flooring that is coming up that she has started to trip over. So we are going to kind of put new vinyl flooring in, as well as there's lots of drywall stuff that needs to be put on the wall. Um, and then we're going to paint as well. So there's a lot of stuff to do in four days. Um, but we're going to get it done. So uh, just to kind of let you know who all is going with us, we have Blake here, uh, Zane, and Maya and Faith, and Claire, Ainsley, Heather, Hannah, Emma, Susan, and Stephen. So we'll be going on that trip starting this afternoon, and we'll be back Saturday. Please pray for us. Yeah, we're about to, and we'll keep doing it. Matthew didn't include their camping outside and making all their own food. This is an act of love. Tremendous. All right. So let's pray for our mission team. I will conclude in prayer, and I will give you all a minute to pray silently before I conclude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know we want to ask for safety and good weather and happy times. And it sounds really silly after we read the letter that Peter wrote. His chief concern was that the Christians, in spite of their circumstances, would continue to glorify and magnify your name, that they would continue to represent you well, whether it be suffering, whether it be simply questioning why they lived the way they did. 
whether it be obedience to a master, whether it be a household issue between a husband and wife. His chief concern was that the Christians would continue to glorify God and represent Him well. Father, that's our prayer for this team, that whatever they encounter, that they would, through their words and their thoughts and their actions, bring you glory. We pray for your sustaining grace. We pray for boldness for this team and courage as they show your love and share the good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.